0: The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNKV, Maple Mill Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investments. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate, brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WNKV. And now your host, Vina jones Cox.
1: Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing where this week, as every week, we're putting folks just like you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today we've got something for maybe the little more advanced investor or the beginner who wants to know how to fast track your real estate business. We're going to talk about personal assistance and virtual assistance and how they work in your business. Before we do that though, I want to let you know about a very exciting upcoming meeting of the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati. It is May the 7th, so it's not not this week, don't worry. It's May the 7th. The featured speakers are Mark, McK- Mark uh, Karen McKinney and Mark Clee. Let me get their names straight. Karen McKinney and Mark Clee who are national experts on the topic of buying properties out of bankruptcy. This is a topic that very few real estate investors know very much about, and yet it is, of course, uh, a good source of very, very motivated sellers. Karen and Mark are speaking at the main meeting at 7.30. The early meeting is going to be with local expert Mitch Painter of Painter Properties, and he is a, a guy who buys apartment buildings, develops Lots, builds new houses, uh, does some does some things that are, are fairly advanced. This is the advanced investor session at six o'clock, and he is do he's going to be speaking on the topic how my business runs. He's going to be talking about his staffing, his software, all the different things that he does to make his business go. That's the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, and it is on May the 7th, early meeting at 6 o'clock p.m. Main meeting at 7 30 p.m. at the usual location. The CAC building at Jordan Crossing at the corner of Reading and Seymour. It is open to the public. You can get more information by calling 859-292-7342. That's 859-292 REA, or by going to com. That's Cincinnati R-E-I-A.com. Don't forget that you can become a fan of real life real estate investings, get weekly notifications about the upcoming uh programs, and also uh, download a hundred, a hundred archived programs by going to realliferealestateradio.com, That's real Uh fan us and we will Make sure that you get the information about Real Life Real Estate Investing and all of the upcoming events thereof. That's realliferealestateradio.com. Become a fan today. We're having a little bit of trouble reaching our guest today who was going to be joining us by phone and hopefully we will work that problem out uh, very shortly because uh, otherwise I'm absolutely nothing to say for the next 50 minutes and that will be embarrassing and will make me question again why live radio because you know once a year or so something like this happens uh in the meantime if you have any questions for us here on real life real estate uh, you can send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com or giving us a call at 772-9658 or 877 772 9658. At this point, any questions, comments or other uh material for the program would be very welcome as uh Mike is desperately dialing our guest and not getting in touch with him apparently. So uh answering let's see got his answering machine. Right That's here. good. Yeah, no, I don't think we need to I don't think we need to have an interview with his answering machine, although I suppose if we were to uh uh, put the answering machine on the air, then everybody would know who is potentially standing me up here. Uh, let's see if I have an alternative phone number for him. No, do not talk to him about calling him on this phone number and don't know what else to do except answer your questions at askvina at com or at, uh, again, seven seven two nine six five eight 9658 or 877-772-9658. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I suppose I could just begin discussing the topic without him because I've been using assistance in my real estate business for a number of years successfully. And uh, the uh, key, of course, to deciding when and how to do that is uh, sitting down with pencil and paper and figuring out uh, the point at which your assistant can actually not only pay for themselves, but also... Uh, make money for your business as opposed to costing you money. It's a, always a very difficult decision for real estate entrepreneurs, whether you're a landlord or a wholesaler or a retailer or whatever the case may be, to decide to take on a staff member because the fear is always, am I going to have time to supervise them? Am I going to make the money to uh, be able to pay them over the long term. You you don't want to hire somebody and then have to lay them off three or four weeks later. Uh, But uh, when your real estate career gets to the point where the sort of rote work like filing and returning phone calls and things like that uh, gets gets to be more than you personally can handle, uh, it's a good idea to... Start looking at what parts of that other people could take on for you and uh, to look at whether if the time that was freed up were uh, enough time that uh, you could be out looking for deals and doing the money making things in your business that that would um, allow you to make more money than your assistant is costing you. Still trying to get in touch with our guest and it looks like he has called my cell phone now or somebody has called my cell phone now. Something's being worked out quietly here in the studio and uh, hopefully we'll get Alan Breimer on here in a second. In the meantime, uh, can we go to the phones and talk to Greg on line one? Greg, welcome to Real Life Real Estate.
2: Hi. Um, hey, uh, just heard that you were having trouble getting hold of your guests. You're like right. That, so call. I don't know. You know, I know you guys are into investing and stuff like that, so I don't know if this question is germane, but um, I'm in a house. Uh, we refinanced a while ago, and, you know, like I said, if I'm off base, just, just cut me off, um, to a 10-year mortgage, wow. and uh, things happened, you know, so now we're looking to go back and probably refinancing to a longer term to get the cost down. Uh, Again, in the meantime, both my wife and I are, um, we're freelancers, so we're uh, functionally unemployed. And was wondering if you had any uh, ideas on how to go after financing to refinance um, in that situation.
1: Well, there's a a key question here, Greg, which is uh, how much equity do you think you have in the house now, given? Uh, Probably
2: 60%.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
2: We I mean, we're doing good that way.
1: We, well, we, we yeah. The short answer is it's going to be very very easy for you to to find financing assuming that you are not trying to take cash out.
2: No, 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 no.
1: You're just trying to lower your payments. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'll tell you honestly the first step I would take if if you've been a good payer on this mortgage is to call the current mortgage company and yep. simply say, "Do you have a streamlined refinance?" Oh, okay. Where I can without paying for a new appraisal or going through the, the whole process again, uh convert my ten year mortgage into a twenty or a thirty or whatever it is that you're looking for at this point. Because uh good payers are few and far between right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and we
2: want to be a good payer. Right,
1: right. And uh that's probably the, the the very first step I would take because it's gonna be the cheapest way to refi, as you know, Refinances usually require full-blown appraisals and underwriting, and all of those sorts of things, and the and the costs uh, can get to be you know two three thousand dollars just to do the refi. But right. some some lenders have what's called a streamlined refi, which means hey, if you if you're already with us, we want to keep you with us. We'll make this easy because we've already done the underwriting. We'll run a credit report, uh, maybe update the appraisal as opposed to do a full-blown new appraisal. And that is, uh, you know, the, probably the simplest and easiest way to do things. Uh, otherwise, I would, in your position, probably shop for the best rates. And when I say rates, I really mean more points and closing costs, because mm-hmm. the, the rates are really, really good right now. Yeah. I mean, Fannie Mae rates yeah. are just, just, you know, incredible in, in the fours at this point. Uh, but it's the points and closing costs that, that, that kind of get you. Yep. So, I would shop for who has the lowest upfront fees and, um, of course, not trade that for a high interest rate or anything, but I really no. don't think you're going to have too much of a problem. Okay, well,
2: yeah, you know, my, my question is basically because, you know, a lot of times we've refinanced uh, uh, three or four times in over like 10 years, and inevitably they say, you know, give us your last three paycheck stubs. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't really have those now. so. Um, and that's that was kind of the question because we're freelance, you know, it's 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 that sort of thing. So um,
1: you also have sixty percent equity though, and yeah, and, that's true. And even true. if, okay. well, even thank if, you it, so much. Even if, even if Fannie Mae's gonna, because they Fannie Mae does like to see W two income, no question okay. about it. But uh, even if Fannie Mae is not in favor of of doing this for some reason because of your lack of w-2 income uh yep. there are certainly small portfolio lenders around town that would just look at us look at 60 percent equity and take a big sigh and say we're you know sign here <laughs> that's, oh, that's oh. Th- there just aren't that many people who are in that kind of position right now
2: yeah. okay all right Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, taking my
1: call. Okay, appreciate the, appreciate the rescue there, Greg. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we do have our guest on the line now. We do not have our guest on the line now. So, yeah, keep the calls coming at seven seven two nine six five eight or 877 We'll be back right after this.
2: Hey kids, it's Mr. Drew. Until you go to realliferealestate.com, I'm going to sit here and continue to tease this kitten. That's right. That's right. The feather gets you. The feather gets you, but you don't get the feather.
1: Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we are still missing our phone guest having very very difficult time getting in touch with him but we're taking your questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or you can send it to me via email by going to askvina.com or simply sending to uh, simply going to uh I'm sorry com and or going to askvina.com um if I sound a little discombobulated, it's because I'm waiting for my guest and didn't expect to be doing a question and answer day today. Uh let's see, got a question last week right, right, right at the end of the program from Robert in Hudson, Ohio, uh as we were talking about responsibilities of the landlords in terms of uh repairs and maintenance. And uh we had a conversation with a, a caller about how uh the property needed to be kept in safe and habitable condition and that damages were to be repaired by the landlord. Although if the tenant did them, they could be paid for by the tenant. Robert sent an email saying, hope this is not too dumb a question. Is it the responsibility of the landlord to replace burned out light bulbs in a rental property? And Robert, no, there are certain things that you can ask your tenant to do and enforce it. And one of them is replacing burned out light bulbs in their house. Now, of course, the exception there is if it is an apartment building or similar type of commercial property, uh, and it's got common areas, hallways, laundry rooms, etc. Yes, you need to make sure that those stay well lit for the again, safety of the tenants. So thank you very much for your question, Robert. If you have any questions for us here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, give us a call at 772-9658, 877-772-9658. Or the email address is askvina at gmail.com. Jeff in Lima, Ohio says, in mid-January you spoke to Justin Ryan, uh, who had a book called When Fear Dies, Investing Comes Alive. I've spent time searching the title, but none of the books that come up are similar to that of the title. Uh, that's because, Jeff, that is not a book in the sense that you are thinking of. It's actually a home study course. So if you're looking like on bookshelves, it's, you're, you're not going to find it there. But that is indeed the title of the home study course. So, uh, yeah, that is that is correct. And the name, you did spell the name right. Any questions that you have here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. You would not believe the amount of that is going on here in the studio to get in touch with our guests. There's been internet connections made, long-distance calls, calls to my office, and at least one pin thrown right at my face for reasons that I cannot determine at all. So uh, I think we may have just successfully reached my guest for today, almost halfway through the program. And Hello. there he is, Alan. Hey, what's up? Uh well, <laughs> live radio. Um, <laughs> no guests trying to tap dance. Uh, it was uh it was it was a very interesting uh, couple of minutes here before we finally found you. Um Boy, we need to. That's we, normally a
3: benefit, but it, today I'm afraid it, it didn't work in anyone's favor, and I
0: apologize.
1: That, that's all right. This I was I was telling folks earlier in the show. This happens for one reason or another about once a year, and I don't know why I'm never prepared for it because I mean it happens like once a year. It's you know, gosh, we've been on the air for I think 14 years this week has been I wow. told
3: you it would, it would be a memorable interview
1: yes yes I d- didn't realize exactly what it was that you meant by that but uh, um, let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh, you uh, because you uh, have actually been uh, investing full-time since you were 22 um, you you live out in Utah we should let, That's correct. Let folks know that uh, you you write and blog about real estate, and I know you have been uh, used very often as a an expert in the media. I've seen you seen you around there. Um, you're kind of an expert as well as an investor, but but really kind of kind of where you shine is in setting up your business so that you are doing the stuff that makes money, and somebody else is doing everything else. Ooh. What uh, just just to give the folks some background, let's start with what kind of investing you do. Sure, the
3: kinds of investing I've done. I started out wholesaling because that's it's frankly a good way to start. I was in college at the time and had no money or credit or knew anybody who was even doing real estate, so that's the route I chose for the first couple of deals. Since then, the strategy seemed to be buying houses subject to doing the minimal repairs needed and then putting them on the market and selling them again right away mm-hmm. and i do less of that now but continue to try to buy subject to getting money from private lenders when needed and i'm now either keeping them as rentals or wholesaling them or uh, lease options
1: okay okay so you, you've kind of done a little bit of everything And of course, as the market has changed over the last couple of years, so has your strategy just like everybody else's. Uh, But we're we're really not here today to talk about the the strategies around real estate. We're here to talk about the business around real estates and specifically this idea of assistance that can pay for themselves and take a lot of work away from you. There's two kinds of assistants that get a lot of chatter right now in the real estate world. One is actual assistants, like they come to your office every day or or, or perhaps they work from home, but they're in the same city as you and you meet with them face to face and so on. And the other kind is virtual assistants, which we are definitely going to uh, get to a little bit later. But let, let's talk first about this this idea of like, when do you decide to hire someone and what kind of tasks do you put on them initially?
3: It's a good question. And when uh, Virtual assistants or assistants in general, outsourcing, it's a hot topic. People always say, oh, I, I'd love to do that someday, but I'm not at that point yet. And I always come back and say, at what point <laughs> do you want to make more money with less hassle? And as an example I give, I talk about how I had a part-time assistant working two or three hours a week for me when i was a college student living in a dorm a shared dorm making 200 bucks a month and the reason is yeah, no matter even if you haven't done your first deal yet if you get them to do things that create revenue which for us investors it's finding deals then when wouldn't you want to get someone to do it as long as it's not a huge commitment on your part and that's probably what keeps people back is they think in order to have an assistant i have to have an office i have to be doing x amount of business first I have to pay them for 20 hours a week or whatever it is but it's not the case if you find the right person
1: and and let me let me expand upon that by saying if you're waiting for the day when you feel like you can't afford it that day's not going to come. <laughs> when you say, "Well, as soon as I get an extra thirty thousand dollars a year in income, I'll be sure and hire an assistant," you know that 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 isn't going to come. the The idea is the the additional income that your assistant creates for you is what pays for the assistant. So, uh, yeah, there there almost is no time that's too soon to hire one, as long as you know what it is you want that assistant to do and you have systems that they can follow that allows them to do it without you spending all your time supervising them.
3: Yeah. Can I give another example? Absolutely. We all know that one way to find deals is to call sellers, just cold call them, like for sale by owners, right? You see the signs, you see the ads in the paper. Horrible work. I mean, I hate doing it. I absolutely hate doing it. I did it years ago to tape myself to see how foolish I sounded on the <laughs> phone, and I wasn't disappointed in fact, I hope I hope no one ever finds those tapes because they could probably uh, make me pay some ransom to get them back. <laughs> but anyway, it's the kind of thing where it does work if you do it enough. So let's say that you eventually get someone, which I did, to call them for you. You pay them $10 per hour. And let's say they have to call one or 200 of these for sale by owners before they find enough enough uh, real, you know, motivated sellers for you to talk with to make an offer on. Let's say they have to talk with 200, and out of those 200, they find maybe 15 or 20 motivated sellers, right? How much time does it take to contact 200 people? If you're not doing it, it doesn't really matter, does it? All that matters to you is how much you're spending. Mm -hmm. So let's say it takes them, I don't know, 20 hours. contact 200 people which it won't because for the most part people don't answer or you can conclude your conversations in a couple of minutes if you have them follow a script with a couple questions to ask but let's say it takes them 20 hours times 10 bucks an hour you spend 200 bucks to get one deal i mean is is that worth it Mm -hmm. and who doesn't have 200 bucks even if you're just starting out in real estate there's people who smoke that much per month in cigarettes or drink that much in coffee or whatever. So anybody can come up with enough money to pay them to do a little bit of work here and there to find you deals.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's just one example of the sort of thing that you can use uh, assistance for. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of the work around buying and selling real estate, around the business of it, is just administrative. It's filing the leases. It's filing the HUD statements. It's... Uh, returning calls from from uh potential tenants. You know, it's stuff that doesn't require a high skill level or a high knowledge level in regards to the actual real estate business. And it's something that if you're doing it and it's taking out taking up time that you should be using to make offers or recruit private lenders or whatever the case may be, uh it's probably something that you could pass off to one of these ten dollar an hour assistants, huh? I would challenge
3: anyone To examine all the phone calls they make in one day, because you're right. Phone calls are the number one thing you can have an assistant do, and that's great because they take the most time. Take a look at all your calls in a day and ask yourself, how many of them did you really need to know what you were talking about versus how many of them could you have just sent in an email? Call this contractor. Tell him we want this color paint. That's it. Or call the utility company. Tell them that, you know, just report this message to this person. That's all phone calls are for the most part is call this person, tell them this. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone could probably free up three or five hours per week just from that, which if you think about it, you could invest, reinvest that time you save in something even more productive like networking, finding private lenders, getting to know them, raising capital, getting to know wholesalers, other ways of getting deals coming in instead of doing stuff that frankly doesn't really make your life much fun anyway.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When we come back, we're going to discuss the concept of the virtual assistant. Also, what do you pay these people and the most organized way to hire, train and manage them? Plus, we'll be taking your phone calls about hiring assistants at 772 or 877 772 We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vena Jones Cox. My guest today is Alan Breimer, a real estate investor and author of the Assistant That Pays for Themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 actually, when you when you open this book, there's the very first thing is an explanation that Alan just got sick of saying him or herself over and over again, and want, you know wanted to save the. The wear and tear on that H key, and so he yeah, he understands that that's grammatically incorrect. You don't you don't have to bust on him for it. Don't call us and tell us that that's grammatically incorrect. We know it, but you can call us and ask any questions that you may have at seven seven two nine six five eight or eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or send us an email at askvena at gmail dot com. Uh, now, Alan, let's talk about the 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 other kind of assistant that has gotten just like so hot recently. I mean, there's like fifty courses available now on how to hire virtual assistants, and you and I both know people who've built their entire real estate businesses on virtual assistants. For those uh, out there who may not quite know what that is, let's first describe what a virtual assistant is and does, and then we can talk about some of their uses.
3: You got it. The virtual assistant is an assistant like any other that helps you with tasks related to your business, but the difference is they're doing the work from a remote location. They're not coming to your house or your office. They're doing the work from wherever they have set up their workspace, which is most of the time their home, although it could be some other office or, frankly, anywhere they want to, and I could care less really where they're doing the work as long as stuff gets done on time and the phone background sounds quiet when people call them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And and in many cases, when we... Talk about virtual assistants. We're talking about people who aren't even on the same continent as we are. One <laughs> one of the big um, sort of booms in this sort of work is in the in the Pacific Rim.
3: That's absolutely correct. And I've I've hired people overseas in uh, India, Pakistan, Europe, the Philippines. I've hired people in several states here in the U.S. And I've hired people in my local area uh, three different places as i've moved around the country i've had all of the above and each one i would have to say has their pros and cons did you want me to give an idea of what those are absolutely you got it i'll tell you this local people are very helpful at, at making deliveries and errands for you if you think about how many hours you spend going to home depot the post office UPS store, all of that stuff. Every time there's a deed to sign and get notarized, right, why not have them become a notary come to you? It saves a ton of time and and hassle, and that was something very helpful to me. Also, if you're going to have them sending direct mail for you in small quantities, you may want to consider someone local just so it will leave their house the day that you first find out about the person to mail to, like if you're scanning foreclosure lists or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they can mail it out the same day, and it gets there faster than if you had it shipped from someone in another state or, of course, another country. So they're very helpful for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out-of-state, just as good, can do everything local folks can in the U.S., with the exception of errands or getting mail there faster. Because, like we would said, 90% of what they're going to be doing for you anyway is phone work. And if they have a a voice-over IP phone line, unlimited long distance, it doesn't matter where they are you're not gonna have to pay a ton of long-distance prices and, and fees in order for them to make calls for you so they could just as well do that in fact for about three years after i started my real estate business in virginia i moved out to utah when i got married i didn't think i was going to stay here so i kept buying and selling houses in virginia while living two time zones away in utah with the help of two virtual assistants in florida of all places.
0: Mm-hmm. And it worked
3: out fine because when you pick up the phone and call someone, you can't even tell if they're across the country or just down the street. It's all the same.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So far as using folks out of the country, they are very good at doing specialized tasks, I found, and also behind-the-scenes admin kind of stuff. And there's folks you can pay as little as 3 or $4 per hour. Uh, even more so if, you, if you're you into internet marketing or have other businesses in addition to real estate. I have not found them to be that helpful on the phone. There's often a language barrier. So you may want to have someone local or in the U.S. for that, but have someone in other countries do the behind-the-scenes stuff, like making reports. Uh, well, let's say, for example, I used to pay someone 15 bucks an hour to go to the websites of local newspapers, go to the legal notices and the classified ads, copy and paste all of the names and addresses of people in foreclosure and make a list, and then they would mail to them. You know, 15 bucks an hour. Well, that's something I could have someone doing at 1 or 2 in the morning because it's daytime on the other side of the world when it's nighttime here. Make that list for 3 bucks an hour and then have my local person send mail to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Or even if you think about it, they could forward an Excel spreadsheet of today's leads to a Kinko's copies or something, and they can actually take a list, even a small quantity, and print up and mail the mailers for you. So that's that's totally automated, and you don't have to have a local person if you don't want to. So that's an example of how you might use
1: people from all three locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the 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 overseas virtual assistants. I just I can I can hear the roar of our listeners saying, "Well, where do you find one of these people that's uh, uh, going to be three or four dollars an hour?" And without specifying or recommending websites that from which you can hire these folks, uh, it's websites. And if you if you Google a uh, virtual assistant or uh, virtual just about anything, th- they will show up. And the, they they're hired online. You generally deal with them online through something like a Skype account or you know, Yahoo chat or something like that. Uh, if you if they work for you for a week and you don't like them, you just don't rehire them. You don't even have to fire them. You just don't rehire. Them. Right.
3: And right. There's no there's no tear jerking story. When you let them go, you just send an email and say, this isn't working out. It's over.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> that's it. And, you know, they are everywhere because they're they're smart, really. I mean, they can work from their country and make American dollars, or at least more than they would in their country, and that's fine. But the challenge is finding the right person because just because they only cost 3 or $4 an hour doesn't mean you're going to get great service. And people always say, well, you get what you pay for and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe that. Because look at, look at the deals you and I buy, Vina, Do we get what we pay for? No, we get a discount. And so that's what you're looking for, someone who not only charges less than, the, less than the, you might have to pay elsewhere, but will also do a great job. One tip I've found is to hire and do a trial run on three or four assistants at the same time. Give each of them maybe three or four hours' worth of tasks And at the end of one week, you know the best of four, as opposed to spending one week on one, one week on the second, third one, fourth one. By then, a whole month has gone by, and you're behind. Mm So it's a faster way of getting the right person, or even having the right person and then one or two other backup people in case the first person's busy or peters out
1: uh-huh and and we should we should be clear that that although these overseas virtual assistants are really good at at fairly low skill tasks such as going into the court records and putting the names of people who are in foreclosure and their addresses into an excel database for instance I mean that's something that Anyone who has a computer and internet connection and that you can write a system that says "Grab this, grab this, put it in these columns, and send it to me uh, can really do, but there are also some extremely skilled overseas folks that you can hire much more cheaply than you could hire a similar person in the united states um, i 've had uh, web pages designed from India for about nine dollars an hour now the The question that I think a lot of um, a lot of people would have about that right now is, is it really fair to ship that kind of job out of the U.S. <laughs> when, when there's so many people uh, looking for jobs? But there are uh, those same sites that have overseas assistants also have virtual assistants who maybe you live in Utah and they live in Georgia, but they don't need to live in your backyard to do what they're doing.
3: Yep. I'd agree with you there. And it's really its up to what you feel comfortable with of where you hire people. There's arguments both for and against overseas or or in home. One thing I will add that they can also do whether overseas or not is internet research for you. I needed to buy an external hard drive to back up my my files and stuff with. I didn't know anything about what to look for or whatever. I just sent an email out to an assistant saying, "Do me a favor and research and find where I can get a good deal on a place to store everything on two different computers, my laptop and my home one." and give me your best recommendations. And they spent maybe an hour and came back and said, here's the top three, here's links to the site, etc." I made the decision in about a minute after going to those three places. So that saved me some time doing that. Uh, I don't really see whose job that was taking away from here because I had never currently hired someone to research external hard drives for me, and I don't know many companies offering that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could also say, too, that every dollar you save goes into an American's pocket because you're American as well. It keeps money circulating here in our continent.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very interesting argument there, Helen. Uh, appreciate that. We need to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about how to organize and manage these folks and what you can really expect to pay. Give us a call at 772 or 877 772 We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones Cox. My guest today is Alan Breimer, author of The Assistant That Pays for Themselves, and we're talking about the idea of hiring assistants: the when, the how, the how much to pay them. What should they be virtual? Should they be in your house? What what should that be about. I got a question from Jared in Overland Park, Kansas, who says, if I hire a bird dog to go out and look for junker properties for me, I was thinking about finding people who are already in the community, like mail carriers, UPS delivery guys, and so on. What should I pay them for finding me potential leads? I always enjoy your show. Alan, have you used uh, bird dogs in this way?
3: Yeah, I I went out and hired people once on commission to go out and knock on doors for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually stopped doing it, not because it didn't work, but because there was turnover and I got lazy and just didn't feel like hiring new people over and over again. I, I kind of I tended to just get to know wholesalers really well and then send out an email like once a month saying, hey, guys, I'm still alive. I'm still looking for deals. Remember me when it comes time to look for someone to buy them from you. And that that worked out well, too. You could absolutely, though, tell people to look for properties for you. They don't even have to be a, a quote, bird dogger. But, yeah, just the postman, the meter reader from the power company, door-to-door salespeople, anyone you know, tell them, yeah, look for deals. Look for dilapidated houses. Look for signs of distress and let me know. You're just going to find that if you do that, it's a lot of people to follow up with. You're going to have to remind them that you still exist and that they need to refer deals to you and it may take some time to get them oriented in the beginning even if it's just like fifteen minutes saying here's what i do here's what to look for So, i would definitely do it if you want to but have a organized way of doing it my recommendation would be to get the email addresses of these folks start an email list in outlook or maybe on google or something and send them all a follow-up message once a week or once a month saying remember here's what to look for and i pay x amount what you pay them is up to you Typically, you know if they're a wholesaler, they'll tell you what they want. You either say yes or no. I've seen people pay generally about a thousand bucks to a bird dog who does nothing more than say, "Here is a deal. I don't have it under contract yet, but here's the contact information or something." That's more of like a referral fee since they didn't really do any work in addition to finding it. But frankly, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't make a phone call to you for a hundred bucks? Or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. If
3: you're the only investor they know doing this. They would do it for a hundred bucks. So it's really, it's up to you. It's it's really up to you. Just don't pay unless the deal goes through.
1: And and uh, Jared, I, I I would I would feel like I wasn't completely covering this topic if I did not add that in most states, strictly speaking, paying bird dogs is uh, illegal in the sense that. License law forbids anybody from taking money for procuring properties for someone else without a real estate license uh which is strange because all they're doing is writing down the address and maybe finding the name of the owner. they're not really procuring a property for you uh and these things where uh th- these things that are commission based where uh, they only get paid if you close the deal uh almost certainly cross that line so just just be aware that that's out there I mean. Twenty-five percent of the investors I know do it anyway, but there's, you know, there's something that you should probably put into that conversation and and decide what you want to do about it. Uh, so, Alan, I, I, my theory is that the reason a lot of real estate investors don't hire assistants is because they're control freaks, and they think they can do everything from finding deals to talking to private lenders to filing paperwork better than anybody else, and that the assistant's just going to like totally screw it up and somehow make it. You know, send their business down the drain because the 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 HUD went on the wrong bit of the wrong page of the notebook. How do you overcome that?
3: Partly, you you do it from experience, and you realize that some people are better than you at certain things, and it makes sense to always have them do it. Uh, partly, it just takes a checkup from the neck up, where you you just ask yourself, you know, am I really? the best person? Can I really say nobody does it like me when it comes to licking envelopes? And if so, does it really matter? I mean, there's some things that are impossible to screw up. So why not have someone do those things, if nothing else? If you want to save the specialized stuff, like talking with sellers for yourself, that's fine. In fact, I totally recommend doing that. So I would challenge you to make a big list of everything that has to get done And then put a D or a star next to all the ones that you want to delegate someday to someone else. Start at the bottom. You'll be amazed at what other people can do for you. You didn't think they could. Another thing I will note is quite often people won't do things as well as you. And you just have to ask yourself, is it worth it in the long run if someone does these things 75% as good as I could? if it allows me to get 10 times more done than I otherwise would. And the answer is absolutely yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And that is that is that is one of the biggest uh, uh, challenges that I think all small business owners have to deal with is the idea that my employees are probably not as good at some of this, especially when you get into the higher level things, when you have your assistants doing things like interviewing sellers before you talk to them, that sort of thing. If it only gets done eighty five or ninety percent as well yeah I've lost ten percent efficiency except that they can do twice as much of it as I'm able to do so I've really gained ninety percent efficiency and uh, that was uh something that uh, the late Ernie Kessler told me uh, a number of years ago that that still took me a little while to absorb, but uh, has turned out to be very very true in terms of the effect that it has had on my business um what about your efforts in, in training these assistants? Do you, do you typically recommend that folks try and find people who already know how to do the things they want them to do, or that you bring them in fresh, unruined by somebody else and train them?
3: It depends on It depends on if you mean administrative experience in general or specific, specifically real estate experience. And I found that it does not matter if they have had experience in real estate, either as a real estate agent or a real estate assistant. It doesn't matter. Uh, however, you do want them to have had some administrative experience before because you want them to be efficient, especially if you're paying them by the hour. You want them to get stuff done, and there's no shortage of folks out there who have had that kind of experience. The real estate stuff, you can, you can quickly teach them on one thing at a time. And they're not going to need to know the complexities of how to structure a deal and all of that, because remember, for the most part, it's call this person, tell them this, call this person, tell them that, or here is a project of everything that we need in order to close on a deal. There's 10 steps. Explain the 10 steps. Have them listen to you do the 10 steps, You know, like getting insurance, uh, getting a title search, Right. Do you have to know how to do a title search in order to call the title company up and say, hi, I'm buying this house. I need you to do a title search on it. Here's the address. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So you go over it once and they can get picked, they can pick up on it pretty quickly if you hire the right person with some experience and intelligence.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is it that someone who is not within your sight I mean, literally with like sitting at the desk next to you. Uh, can get paid by the hour, and you trust that even though they're not in the office with you, that things are getting done, and that they're not spending their time playing computer solitaire
3: well, how do you know they're getting anything done even if they're in the office with you <laughs> i've seen the i mean i've seen the statistics what is it employees in an office actually get like two hours of work done a day, and the rest of the time they're on <laughs> YouTube or chatting or whatever I mean How does anyone do it you you hold them accountable and what, what I do is I use a time log. I have them track their minutes every single day, and I can see how much time they spent on certain tasks. Now, yes, it is hard when they say I made phone calls for an hour to know if perhaps they should have only spent 50 minutes instead of an hour. You know, Is it that big of a deal? No, not really. Uh, but for the most part, they're doing repetitive tasks that I already know how long it should take. For example, if I did have someone, going back to that example of making a list of people in foreclosure every day, and I've done it myself before, and I know it takes on average about 20 minutes a day, then if they started saying it's taking 40 minutes a day, you'd say, hey, what's up with this? And another secret of the pros is when they they turn the time log in at the end of the pay period, I would. I, I have my local assistant just drive to my house, since I can never remember when it's time to pay her, but you better, be- you better believe they remember when it's time to get paid. So I just have her come to my home office and say, it's been two weeks, here's a time log. I review it, and even if I don't see anything askew in it, I always pretend that there is and say, hey, what was up with the 15 minutes here on this and that? just to make them think I'm watching them like a hawk. Mm-hmm. So that combined with getting the right person in the first place would be the way to overcome that. Or paying them by the job, and then you don't care how long they took to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, all of these things that that appear scary when folks first think about bringing a personal assistant in their lives really are overcome, just like everything else in real estate, uh, partly by experience, yeah, Partly, partly by learning from the folks who've already done it, and partly by just realizing that the problems that you think are going to happen generally don't and if they do you can always do what people do with employees who aren't working for them which is fire them and i'll tell you the the alan just to, to wrap up here the one thing that i i wish that somebody had had told me not, a, not that I'm sure they would have been able to ap- actually get through to me on it, but at the beginning of my real estate career is that assistants and employees are always better than partners. That Absolutely. In, <laughs> in terms of what you're going to end up paying and the the hassles and, and, and problems and emotional difficulties that come with having a partner uh, don't happen with folks that you're not tied to like that and that if you're thinking about bringing on a partner to to, to pick up part of the work in your business, it's probably better to think about an assistant.
3: And I will say, too, if you do get a partner, if you do choose to go that route, which I totally wouldn't, since I've tried it myself, make sure you don't get a partner who is just like you. If you have no money and no experience and no marketing ability and no time, then you do not want a partner who also has no money or marketing experience you want to find someone with a million dollars and you put in the work and they come up with the money and that's a that's a real partnership but even then even then I, I, would, rec- I would have an assistant and an army of private lenders before I did that
1: <laughs> thank you very much for your time that's Alan Breimer author of the assistant who pays for themselves we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to real estate investing until then happy investing